Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Thursday evening, Special Topic Thursday, an evening that is tailored to your questions. And I'm really excited for this evening because I do have Father Mike with me to talk about his journey, his story, his vocation into the priesthood. If you have been a faithful listener to this program, you know that Father Mike has joined me a couple times over the past, what, couple months, Father Mike? <laughs> so um, I have been asked for you to talk about your vocation story. So your vocation story is more or less the answer to the question, but there are specific questions I personally want to ask and questions that I have kind of vicariously received through others. So anyhow, Father Mike, great to have you with, uh, with me another evening. Hey, thanks, Joe. It's great to be with you. At the end of our program this evening, uh, we're going to talk about what we're going to start next week, and I'm excited about that. But before we get into what we talk about <laughs> I'm next week, about that too. <laughs> before we get into that, your vocation story, you know, every priest has their own journey, has their own story. Like anything, mm-hmm. no one thing is alike. And so yeah. certainly when it comes to calls to the priesthood, no one vocation story is alike. So your vocation story, your journey. Uh, let us hear about that. Well, my story's not over yet, so I'm, I can tell you <laughs> talk about it up until this point. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I, Amen. I, I would guess pre- preface this by saying that you know the word vocation comes from the Latin vocare, which means to call. Yeah. And my story has begun, and I guess continues with just this uh, kind of basic conviction that God is always speaking, that He's always trying to call and and uh, inviting us to something. I, I think that. Um, deep roots for my sense of calling to the priesthood it had a lot to do with my grandmother. Uh, growing up, she, uh, her love for the priests, her love for the church, uh, that was something that made such a deep impression on me as a kid. Mm. Um, so I, I, if I'm a priest at all, it's because of my grandmother. And, uh, you know, she used to say to me, she, uh, she passed away, sadly, in May, and I was able to do her funeral, mm. celebrate her funeral. And wow. that was kind of surreal. The woman yes. who gave me the priesthood and, in a sense, the faith to give her back to God as a mm. priest was a beautiful uh, moment. Wow. She was uh, getting kind of ill in the, in the past years, and she used to say, uh, leading up to my ordination, she said, I'm just praying that I'll be there for your ordination. And she was. Amen. So I can't tell the story of becoming a priest without the gift that God gave me in her. Yeah. Um, but I remember as a kid uh, looking at my pastor, uh, an old Irish priest. Uh, he wouldn't say he was old, but he was old to me. <laughs> and uh, imagining, you know, I bet he has a connection with God. And so I wanted to be like him because of that, because I, as a child, was praying and I couldn't figure it out. I also saw how important he was to my family, how important he was in the parish, uh, how uh, loving he was and how he seemed to be loved. And, you know, and I don't know if I articulated this at the time, but the lasting impression was uh, this is a worthy life and it's a life that's important. And I think as we grew up, you asked the question, you know, will what I'm going to do with my life, will it matter? Will I be loved? Will it be important? Those are two like very early impressions that spoke to me that priesthood might be a real possibility or mm. something worthy. Mm-hmm. I got into a junior high school and I connected with a young priest, uh, Father Brian, who was an oblate of St. Joseph out in Loomis. We lived in Rockford. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
And so I, I started to meet with him and, and uh, go to spiritual direction and, and process this whole idea of priesthood, that, that that might be a real possibility for someone like me. I would go the uh, first Fridays to adoration with my mom up there at Mount St. Joseph, their kind of minor seminary. And uh, I was driving home one night uh, by myself. I had gone up there and gone for confession, and it occurred to me, I must have been in high school, but I thought to myself, in all the searching and all the longing that comes with being a teenager and whatnot, I thought to myself, if I have ever felt at peace and felt in touch with myself and in touch with God, it's been at these moments driving home from meeting with this priest. Mm. I've thought, you know, mm. if I've experienced something of the presence of God in my life, uh, something of myself, it's been at the hands of the priesthood. And somehow uh, what returned to me to myself was also what I felt I was being called to give. And from that time, it just became, um, you know, I, I speak of uh, the... For me, the language that I put on the sense of calling is to speak of it as an internal imperative. Uh, there's something inside you that you must do. Mm-hmm. And you can't really explain it, but it was there. I'll tell you a story. This is a famous story, and it's not mine. <laughs> okay. Uh, about a man who's uh, walking with God. It's an ancient story through villages and towns and whatnot. And he says, God, explain to me the meaning of life. And God says, okay, I, I can do that, but it's a long story and I'm thirsty. So go into one of those houses and get me a glass of water first. Says, no problem. So he goes in, knocks on the door. A beautiful young woman opens the door. Says, I need a glass of water. She says, yeah, I can get you a glass of water, but first, come in and have dinner with me. Mm-hmm. So he comes in. 30 years pass. They have kids. He's the mayor of the town. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're living their life. Their kids are all out of the house and have their own lives. And a terrible earthquake shakes the whole house, and it's terrifying. And the man wakes up in the middle of the night and cries out. Says, God, where are you? And you know what God says. Where's my glass of water? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's not to say that the meaning of the story is that God plays games or that he holds out on us, but it's to say what I read in that story is that somehow our relationship with God starts to form around a certain idea mm-hmm. or a certain kind of movement in life or call it a calling. Mm-hmm. And my experience of, of priesthood was definitely that. There was this... Uh, glass of water that God was asking of me. And, you know, wherever you go and think of or whatever you desire, somehow uh, my relationship with God had kind of taken shape around this idea of priesthood. Mm. And so uh, to the extent that I thought, well, you know, I need to reach out uh, to the diocese and, you know, attend some discernment meetings. And for me, that process was wonderful, and it was very much a question of taking one step uh, feeling at peace and taking another step, and I just haven't stopped walking. Yeah, amen. I uh, So I went after I graduated from high school, I went up to Mount Angel in Oregon, and, and it was a wonderful place. I entered the seminary, the Benedictine monks um, kind of blessed that those years of my life with that rich spirituality of prayer and scripture, and um, I had been discerning religious life for a time, so after a couple of years in the seminary, I, I joined the Discalced Carmelites as a novice, and then I spent about a year with them. And uh, that was very clarifying for me in terms of my sense of calling as a parish priest. Mm. I remember before I left, the novice master said to me, Mike, I want you to remember that God only made one of you. I love that line. Yeah, you share that um, after our last radio program, oh, yeah. and I, I love that line. It's the truth. God and, only and, made one of you. Mm. And he says, you know what that means is that uh, no one else can love God the way that you can if you don't kind of fill those shoes, so to speak. No one can fill them because... Amen. 
So uh, he did it to make fun of me. He was saying, thank God we only have one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because yeah, I was a bit yeah. of a pain in his side. <laughs> was this in Alhambra or where was this at? This was the in uh, San Jose. They have a oh, Mount yes, St. Joseph yes. in the of east foothills there. Sure. So I was a bit, you know, I was younger then. I was a bit troublesome for the novice master. So he says, no, thank, <laughs> thankfully there's only one of you. Yeah. <laughs> but that comes with the responsibility for you. So I, I came back to the seminary. I, I did uh, theology in, in Menlo Park. You know, during my theology years, I, you know, it became clear to me that I needed to take some time away. And that was painful for me, away from formation to kind of process and deal with kind of my own life stuff. And, and so I left the seminary after, after many years without any promise of return. Mm. And, and so at this point, Father Mike, how close were you to ordination? Oh, uh, very close. Yes, yes, okay. And so, uh, but, but it was, I had to, you know, and, yep. um, but that was very painful. And I remember during that time, I had a buddy who was a priest to a canon lawyer, and he was back and forth between Rome and other places. And I was go- just working a job, which was a big change of gears, you know. And he calls. He says, what are you doing next week? I said, uh, oh, you know, nothing working. He says, where are you now? I said, I'm at Olive Garden. And I was. And he says, oh, you like Italian food. <laughs> so that dude says, you want to come with me next week to Rome? Mm. Which I thought, I mean, spur of the moment, I was like, yeah, sure. Yeah. What the heck? Wow. So he had business to do in the Vatican and whatnot, and he said, look, take a backpack, hang out, we'll get together for dinners, but explore the city for a couple of days and just, you know, do whatever. Uh. So I was just fresh out of the seminary, and I remember, uh, you know, I landed, I got to where I was staying, and I just walked over to St. Peter's, and I was standing, and I thought, how did this happen? You know, last mm. week I was at Olive Garden, here I am at St. Peter's. God happened. <laughs> yeah. And what came to me in, in the pain of my taking time away and the uncertainty of my ever coming back uh a conversation came to my mind uh, between Jesus and Peter. And what Jesus says to Peter is, I have prayed for you that your faith won't fail you. And when you come back to me, strengthen your brothers. Mm. Mm. Um, that was so clear and resonant as I stood there. Wow. And I'll tell you what, uh, that is hugely how I understand my priesthood now. Mm. Um, strengthen your brothers. Yeah. Or yeah. strengthen your sisters that whether that's in preaching and, and accompanying and counseling and sacraments and anointing, you name it. But I, I, I understand my path, uh, the need to leave and the need to come back, that internal imperative as a call to, uh, to strengthen the people that God has placed in my path. So uh, that, that's very much, I guess, for me, that's the cup of water. Mm. Well, I was just about to say, this whole story, this whole narrative, Father Mike, resonates with... Yeah. <laughs> Our Lord, yeah. what I was hearing when you were telling that story is Jesus saying, I thirst, and specifically saying, I thirst to Mother Teresa. Mm-hmm. You know, and of course, there the context is thirsting for souls. He thirsts for souls. Yeah. And here you are as a mediator of and for Christ, bringing souls to Christ. I think that's beautiful. Yeah, that's and beautiful. so to bring to bring the story, I guess, to a close, I... Uh, about a year after my ordination, I went back to Rome, to, to Italy, uh, with my parents for a little vacation. They're kind of celebrating the ordination, and they, they hadn't been. And, uh, you know, that, that first time I was standing outside of Pete, St. Peter's wondering, will I ever be a priest? And then some years down the road, now I was a priest, and, and to walk in uh, with my parents and uh, say Mass a couple of times in St. Peter's uh, to kind of thank God for that gift. And your grandmother was still alive at this point? She was still alive, Okay, yeah. okay. And to... Um, you know, to hear that call again, you know, mm. to uh, of strengthening b- because of all that this journey has involved. Yeah. 
Um, I guess that continues to be the uh, internal imperative for me, my cup of water that uh, I keep trying to pour out as best I can. Yeah. Father Mike, what were you thinking when you were at that spot where our Lord spoke to you a few years previous with your parents? Was there something specific like at that spot that, mm. that God shared with you? No, God has a way of doing that. <laughs> yeah. Bring to mind certain things at certain places as God has spoken to you, yeah. you know, in those certain places. You know, uh, it was such an overwhelming experience. Sure. Um, you know, they, they, the other thing is, uh, you know, they, they walk you out to one of these massive side altars in, in St. Peter's. Yeah. And then, you know, English-speaking people, oh, this is an English mass. And so yeah. <laughs> y- you yeah. ask what happened. You know, here I was, I was a... A young man standing out Saint P- outside of St. Peter's asking, you know, what happened to my life and where am I going? A couple years later, you're part of the attraction, for lack of a better word. You're in St. Peter's and all these pilgrims are coming to your mass at mm. St. Peter's. Mm-hmm. And you think, what, I, you know, I grew up a mm. kid in Rockland. What happened mm. to my life? Mm-hmm. God um, happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But, you know, a very distinct at that time, and I mentioned this at the mass with the people, is um, what was so clear in my head was, how many times in the scripture did Jesus say, "Ask me, ask me," says, uh, and uh, you know, I'll do it. Yeah. And that was really, um, that was really at the heart of my prayer that morning was um, Jesus' invitation, "Ask me." And then I thought, has he not been true? Yeah. And then he kind of turns it around and asks you a question. It's always fascinating to me, Father Mike, that our Lord in the Gospels is asked three hundred and eight different questions. And 305 times, he answered the question with a question. Yeah. You know, (laughs) there's this sense of, I'm going to turn this back around Mm. and ask you, who do you say that I am? You've asked me all these questions, Mm. and you're going to find the answer in the response to that question, who do you say that I am? What a great point. You know, and when we can discover that deeper truth is when we do discover the richness of the uniqueness that is Father Mike, or yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. the uniqueness that is Joel Craft, or you know, yeah. whoever you are out there, yeah. that indeed each and every one of us in the eyes of God is extraordinarily exceptional. Yeah. And once we discover this uniqueness, we are enriched by it. And so certainly, Father Mike, I can speak on behalf of St. John the Baptist Catholic Church, as I know many are going to be listening to this program, that we are enriched by your priesthood. I am struck by something here. I just made myself a little note. It appears that there were three very important people in your story. Your grandmother, this Irish priest, mm-hmm. and this oblate. Certainly, I'm, I'm hearing, too, your parents have had a lot to do oh, with yeah, your absolutely. vocation, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. But planting seeds. Mm-hmm. Planting seeds. You know, there's that great story told of the man that's been on the highway. He sees a tomato stand. He looks at that tomato stand. He says, well, that's... That's pretty good, you know, yeah. but I'm not that hungry. I'm okay. He gets the second tomato stand, and he's, uh, he's thinking to himself, gosh, that tomato stand looks pretty darn good, and those red tomatoes, man, I can really go for one of those, but I got to go. <laughs> By the third, fourth tomato stand, they're buying the whole tomato stand. You, know? yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah. you see something once, you see something twice, one seed planted, a second seed planted, and what you have then over time is this desire for something. Yeah. And, of course, this is, again, what I hear. Yeah, I, I don't think that we can say enough how important a role the family plays in discernment of a vocation, because, again, I think one of the things when we're young we're asking is, um, how is my life going to be worthy, and am I going to be loved? And so I think a child, a young person, has to see that 
um, a priest is somebody loved and that this is a life that's that's worthy and beautiful and, and meaningful mm. and kind of central. Nobody's going to um, commit everything to something that they don't believe is critical. Yeah. And so just on that level, on, on the level of our Catholic life, we have to model for young people how important uh, this mission is or else who's going to sacrifice to, to live it. Yeah. But, but I also think, you know, that uh, God doesn't call out of some sort of vacuum. I mean... Um, Jesus himself, he evangelized by inviting, you know, come have dinner. Who's I'm coming to your house for dinner, or come yes, with me. Yes. And uh, I think we need to uh, not be bashful sometimes to to speak to people about what we see in them sometimes. Yeah, come and see. Mm-hmm. Right, come and see. What does Philip say to Nathaniel? Hey, Nathaniel. Yeah. <laughs> I have found the fulfillment of law of Moses. This Jesus of Nazareth. This is a pretty amazing guy, you know. Yeah. And Nathaniel, good, yeah. <laughs> comes from Nazareth, right? Yeah. And he says, come and see. And you know, and, and what's, what's interesting too, and I, I would say this about parents, and my parents have been so great, and I know that they're so supportive and proud of me, and I spend most of my days off with them. But you know, initially, I think, and a lot of parents, we want more priests, but just not my kids. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's, it's something different. And I think that that initially is intimidating. You know, you, you kind of uh, imagine a kind of a happy life is what you had. You know, you get married, you get you have your kids, you live your life, and priest is certainly something different. Um, but it's really been wonderful to see how my parents and my family have grown with me on this journey. Mm. And what was once different, a kind of mystery and perhaps mm. intimidating, uh, they've come to they've come to my masses and seen their son speaking to a thousand people, and they yeah, sure. they share with you some of the joy of the the impact that uh, priesthood can have in in my life or in a community where I'm living. And so to, uh, to see how, you know, the family kind of accompanies you on this journey. And so I would say to parents who might be intimidated by the thought or uncomfortable, the thought that my kid might have a vocation like that, that there's a wonderful discovery as you journey along, mm. that there, there's a new kind of a horizon that opens up in your life, uh, even within the family. Amen. I, I thought that very thing when your parents were, here, what, about a month and a half ago, two months, when you took them to Chipotle? Or oh, no, yeah. no, no, that was Fifth Street Steakhouse. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, it, was, <laughs> no. it was definitely Fifth Street. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, I thought to myself that there they were listening to you preach, and you had given a beautiful homily. I thought, gosh, how amazing it must be for them. I'm also made to think of St. Teresa of Avila, hmm. because as I've shared the story recently, uh, St. Teresa of Avila, in her own journey, became the spiritual director to who but her father. Hmm. And ultimately, it was her inability to answer her father's questions about her spiritual life that led her, in the end, to go where she went in her nine grades of prayer and the interior castle and all the rest, because he had asked his, uh, his daughter, you're talking so beautifully and intensely about prayer, but are you living it? Hmm. And she answered no. Yeah. And that was deeply troubling to her. And so when she came across this statue of Eche Omo, you yeah. know, and yeah. she heard our Lord speak to her, I thought, gosh, wow, the impact of a father, the impact of a parent upon a vocation, and how that kind of transcends. Mm-hmm. 500 years later, we are reaping the benefit of that beautiful relationship. Absolutely. 500 years later, we will be reaping the benefit of the beautiful relationship between you and your parents, hopefully, right? Yeah. It yeah. will impact people because... That's how God works. Yeah, so I think a life in, in priesthood is, is deeply uh, rooted, embedded in relationships in general, but but also emerging from family and relationships. And yeah. sometimes we think of uh, 
priests as maybe these kind of lone ranger types that but but that's really not where priesthood comes from and that's not how it's lived and that's the perfect segue father mike to a few questions that i've received uh-huh. over weeks and months and these are probing questions for sure uh one question ha- has come to me joe why do people act differently around priests it seems like they're phony around priests, or they're not themselves. Now, I'm not to project what's phony or not phony, but as I'm asked the question, I, hmm, you know, I think they might be speaking to something. We're not ourselves around priests. Yeah, uh, you know, it's I, I'm not sure how to to go about that because um, I think that um, maybe that's true and maybe that's not true. I mean, to extent to an extent, I guess we all do that around someone we feel has certain expectations sure. of us. You know, sure. we sure. You know, we dress up when we go to a nice place. I mean, so I don't know that that's particular to priesthood. That does speak to there being maybe a projection there, but some sense that this guy expects this or that, or we want to put on the right face. But but the other side of that coin, and what maybe people won't see in the church parking lot or drinking coffee after Mass, is uh, the totally raw, exposed encounter of the confessional, for example. Yeah. Or the person who's uh, half naked dying in their hospital bed, you know. Most of what my uh, experience of people involves is a very humbling, um, kind of spiritual, emotional nakedness yeah. that you have to touch very delicately. Um, so my my kind of lasting impression. I mean, I I kind of take it with a grain of salt when somebody says, "Oh, Father, nice homily." It's like, yeah, well, okay, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. I mean, who knows? You know, you, yeah. you take it with a grain of salt. Uh, because you know that people, you know, it's being polite or, you know, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't walk around with the impression, wow, people are, are phony to me. Yeah. Um, because the larger impression of people has to do with the great humility with which people sure. approach the priest with a trust that that man has not earned. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because he's a priest. And uh, that to me is the overriding sense of people. Uh, if people are fake to me, they're probably not any more fake with me than I am with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the reality is we can't project what we do not know, yeah. right? That's the bottom line, and we're dealing with a subjective issue. But I'm grateful that we can talk about this because as you speak to it, it really does hammer home, I think, the essence of what your priesthood is about. You know, I love how you talk about that spiritual, emotional nakedness. Um, I have a question for you Sure. that we didn't talk about before. It's something that's crossed my mind. You're a young man, mm-hmm. 28, 24. 20, 34. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Joe. Thank <laughs> yeah. you. 34. What has your experience been when a 75-year-old man comes to you in the confessional, per se? Yeah, th- it's very humbling yeah. because uh, this band is three times my age. You know, I um, yeah. uh, we, we studied kind of spirituality for priests in the seminary and pondered these things, and one uh, statement, one idea has stuck with me. It says, you know, you, and it's true. You get ordained a priest, and you quickly discover your people are they're older than you, they're more experienced, they're more accomplished, they're wiser, they're holier than you are. Um, what do you have to offer them? And um, he says, you know, what we have to offer them is our desperation for the Lord, a desperate love for the Lord, which can kind of nourish. Mm, I like that. Um, I, mm. uh, you know, one of these uh, authors speaking of, of uh, priestly ministry, he says, you know, that... Um, a priest has to know when he deals with people, he's dealing with living pages of the gospel, and he has to read them with reverence. Mm. That we can we can um, fall into the trap 
uh, in priesthood or anything of saying, I am the minister and you are the one being ministered to, yeah. or I am the service provider and you are the recipient of the service, or I'm the teacher, you are the student. Real ministry is not like that. You did it unto me. Yeah. <laughs> you did it unto me. You minister to me, but I also minister to you. Yes, it's yeah. the, it's the, um, this is the mystery of the body, that in this moment you're acting in the person of the head, but that uh, in terms of the body of Christ, but that does not mean that this other person is not the body of Christ, and we don't have this, this deeply Christological relationship, and that uh, the 70-year-old comes to confession, but we are both encountering Christ. Yeah, yeah. And so that, that that's how I would speak to that, is um, I don't uh, sit in that confessional as the master or the wise one, but as the first, even in my soul, in my being, in my ministry, the first to point to the mystery of an other. Yeah, I like that. And I, I especially like that word, desperate, you mm-hmm. know, in the context to which you provide. Father Mike, I'm looking up at the clock, and we're running out of time. Thank you for sharing the gift of your time. With just our last minute... I did want to speak to next week. Sure. Uh, because next week we are going to start a new series that is just going to run its course as long as you are here in the friendly confines of Chico. Okay? Uh-huh. <laughs> and that is going to be subject matter that is going to have us engaging classic reads, classic books, classic cinema, maybe contemporary cinema. I'm sure yeah. we'll, we'll tap into contemporary cinema and engage where we might find Christ in that book or Christ in that cinema. And we're, we're not going to force something, if you will. If, if Jesus isn't there in, in the page or in cinema, he's not there, and we're yeah. not going to pretend that he is. Yeah. But as you and I have been talking, we can certainly say that Jesus is in a lot of pages, and oh, yeah. oh my, is he in cinema. And in some cases, whether it be an author or director, they are very intentional about that. A book... Drama has a way of telling the narrative of salvation history that sometimes we just can't capture because of the medium that is being used. And so what we're going to do is explore that a little bit. Now, we haven't come up with uh, what first book or what first movie we're going to treat, but uh, be rest assured, my faithful listeners, that uh, Father Mike and I will be back next week to... We want to keep you in suspense. Yeah, (laughs) there you go. (laughs) uh, Hans-Urs von Balthasar and his... uh, Theodrama, he talks about the stage and theater as yes. human nature's need to observe itself and reflect on its own mystery. Yeah. Uh, I had a professor in the seminary who used to talk about if you want to be a priest, you have to love drama uh, because it, it's, our, it's our capacity and our need to reflect on our story and the presence of God in that story. So I'm very excited about this project. Yeah. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. I think, I think, and this is just my personal opinion. It is one of uh, many reasons, but I would say one of the top three reasons that made Pope John Paul II such an extraordinary pope, Mm. because he was a man of the cinema. Absolutely. He was a man who espoused towards drama, himself directing, producing, and acting, and starring in his own plays. But uh, anyhow, that might be something we can take up in the future, (laughs) Father Mike. So maybe just by way of wrap-up, if you can um, close us with a word of prayer, Father Mike, that'd be great. We give you thanks, Father, for your call, which is unique uh, and powerful in, in the lives of each one of us, and we ask you to give us ears to hear you and a heart to follow, and we ask for your blessing, you who are the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.